Well, Christmas is here at last. And I guess many of us are bracing ourselves for the searing heat, looking forward to the mountain of food and the lake of drink, uh, and gathering with family and or friends. I hope at least you're looking forward to that. I guess if you're under 30, you're probably thinking, at last, we've been waiting so long, or our kids have been waiting so long. If, like me, you're over 50, you're probably thinking, oh, no, not again. I've just got to survive. Hopefully I'll get through it like I did last year. But Christmas is one of those things that's impossible to avoid and difficult to ignore. We're affected by us. All of us are affected by it one way or another. I was listening to the radio yesterday driving back from Bustleton and uh, the radio host decided to have an hour where people could ring in and suggest Christmas songs that don't mention Christmas. That was the criteria. So it had to be a Christmas song, but the song was not allowed to mention Christmas. I think that's people who can't avoid Christmas but would prefer to dispense with it. You've been, uh, I gather, if you've been coming regularly to St Philip's over the last few weeks, looking at the cast of Christmas. And the cast of Christmas, most of us will know some of the story. I guess for them, the first Christmas was probably pretty surreal. A night in Bethlehem, unexpected, difficult, wonderful, just a bit surreal. For Mary and Joseph, those little people conscripted to be something, to be part of something that has been celebrated for 2,000 years now across the whole world. The unnamed animals that will remain unnamed. The shepherds and angels out in the um, the flocks, uh, sorry, out with the flocks being caught up in this story, this, this drama. But what is pretty obvious is you weren't there and I weren't there. We, we weren't part of the original cast. But tonight we want to see how that event does include us. We're included not in the, the story of it in the first instance, but in the effects and in the purpose of the birth of baby Jesus. And so we can share in its joy. I want to spend a bit of time with you tonight just exploring John chapter 1, that second reading. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's page 862. And John wants us to be introduced to this guy called Jesus, this baby who grew up. Except he doesn't introduce him as a baby. It's a different angle on Christmas. But verse 9 describes Christmas. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The true light came into the world. That event, the baby born in the feeding trough in about 5 BC in Bethlehem with Mary there and Joseph, who's sort of superfluous like any groom. But John describes it as light has come into the world. This baby is the light of the world. He brings light into a dark world. Not that the world was completely dark. It wasn't absolute blackness before Jesus, as we'll see. But it's like there's a bit of light and then the lights get turned on and it's a different world. We can see as we're meant to see. That's what Jesus does. Now, light is connected to to Christmas and the Christmas story in so many ways. The angels are out in the field and glory shines around them. There's the star that the Magi follow. There's light. But the light points to the light, this baby, the light of the world. And those who were there who witnessed it 
were surrounded by light. They were struck by it, although probably confused as well. And for us who come after, 2,000 years after, that light that came into the world is still blazing. It still floods our world with light and with life. But he goes on to say in verses 10 to 12 that back then there were different responses to the light. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him, didn't recognise him. There's one response. Just sort of, what was that? I, I don't know. Apathy, you might call it. Verse 11, he came to what was his own, his own people, the Jewish nation, and his own people did not accept him. They did not receive him. But verse 12, those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Three different responses back then when Jesus the baby came as he grew up and lived, but also today. I don't know which one of those you recognise as being your response. Didn't recognise him, didn't receive him, did receive him. But to help us understand those responses to this baby born in a feeding trough, John wants to throw a very broad canvas (coughs) to see this baby against. He wants to zoom right out because this baby is part of the biggest stage that's ever been. He says back in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. Interesting, he says, in the beginning, this word already was. Whatever point you, you point as at the beginning, the word was already. He didn't start at the beginning. He already was at the beginning. He's pre-existent. He's eternal. And this baby that was born is this word of God, God and with God, God the Son who is both divine and with the divine Father. And with the, calling him the word takes us into a world and ideas that just sort of build up. It's pregnant with meaning because the word of God is something of extreme power. The word created everything that is simply by speaking it into existence. My words can't do that. I wish Christmas was over, but that doesn't mean it is. But it also speaks of a mind, of somebody with thought and planning. That's what your words reveal, don't they? When you speak, you reveal your thinking, you reveal your mind, you reveal your purposes, you reveal your desires. This is God's word. It's personal. It's his considered wisdom revealed to the world. And in verse 3, he says that everything that exists came to be through this word. There's nothing in all of reality, in heaven and earth, that didn't come through him, including you and me. We are his handiwork. We bear his fingerprints, or more accurately, we bear his voice print. You and I are not meaningless random accidents that just happen to be here at this point in the existence of a meaningless universe. We're purposeful. We're wonderful. We're created through this word and by this word. But in verse 4, he becomes particular. In him, in the word, was life. And the life was the light 
of all people. In him was life. That is, he, he is the source of life. We're not. We get life from outside us. It's given to us, but that was not true of the word. And the life that we have is an expression of his life given to us. He enlivens us. He energizes each one of us. And here he's not just talking about us as biological things, as mere amoeba or viruses, but as sentient life, as people made in his image who think and relate just like the word. We're embodied life. Whether we're five or 95, whether we're buff or burnt out, to be alive is to have that light in us and coming out of us, making us alive, showing that we are the product of the light, of the word, of God. That life is in all of us. You might be asleep, but you're still alive. Your heart is pumping, your mind, your will, your, your spirit is alive because the word gave you life. That's true for me and it's true for you. It's who we are and it sort of seeps out of each of us through the cracks. Our aliveness reveals the existence of the word. It reveals my origin and your origin. Look around. I I don't know most of you. You don't know me. You know some of the others here, I guess, family. That's part of who they are. The light of God is shining in each of them and out of each of them. Every time you think and plan, every time they love or cry, every time we hope or care, that light, that life is shining in and out of us. And he says in verse 5, you can't extinguish that. Evil can't stop it shining through the cracks and the transparent panes. You see it in others and you experience it yourself. The world might be evil, but it's not totally evil. There is still the remnants, the fingerprints, the voice print of the word in you and me, in every single person who inhabits or has inhabited this planet. But then in verse 9, a moment comes where that life, that light that's in each of us, actually becomes part of us. Sorry, it comes among us. Verse 14, the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. At a point in time, that light came into the world in the stunning event we celebrate at Christmas. The word became flesh. God the Son becomes a baby. The infinite becomes finite. The spiritual becomes material. The light that is sort of in each of us is now with us. We can speak to him and see him and touch him. He's among us, this light. I live in a street that has fairly bright street lights. It's a major arterial road, so the street lights come on. They're designed to keep the whole sort of road lit up right through the night. And we have windows facing the road, so guess what? Our house is never dark. You pull the blinds, you pull the curtains, the light seeps in, it's there. It might be gloomy, but it's always a bit light. And sometimes I come into the house late at night and... It's, it's sort of gloomy light. But then you turn one of the lights on and it changes everything. Suddenly it is light. And I'm bathed in light. 
And that's like this moment. The world which had light seeping into it and out of it is now bathed in light because this baby is born. It's now light. And John says, we saw his glory. Glory has the sense of light, doesn't it? Something bright and shining like a halo behind a head or however you might envisage it. He says, we saw it. It flooded us. That baby was light. Now, he's especially thinking about the adult life of Jesus here. But what is the glory of the word of God? Is it his power that he can lift rocks that are too heavy to lift? Is it his clothes or his cars or his mansions by the seaside? No, says John. His glory is grace and truth. If you sort of boiled down and crystallised into a bottle, what was glorious about this word when he became flesh, about this baby who grew up? John says it's grace and truth. I don't know whether they're things that you're attracted to or not. Let me try and explain briefly what grace and truth are about. Start with truth. When you shine the light of truth into dark places... It does wonderful things, and it does scary things. Truth is saying what's really there. It's shining a light into things that sometimes would prefer to be dark, the lives of broken people and the lives of those who break other people, the hearts of self-righteous hypocrites and the hearts of humble people. Jesus came filled with truth. But more than that, it's not just that he shone light, he declared that he was the truth, the life. He's both the source of truth and truth embodied. We need truth, don't we? In an age of fake news, of make-up, of of, uh, imaginary worlds, of of getting lost in gaming and other trivial pursuits. We, We need truth. But truth can be harsh, The light exposes everything to its bright glare. And so the second part of the glory of Jesus, we need to to get as well. He was full of grace and truth. Grace is about generosity of sinners who found welcome with Jesus, who found forgiveness. The woman from Samaria who'd broken six other marriages finds acceptance, a welcome with Jesus, tax collectors who'd ripped off their fellow Israelites, traitors to everybody, found life and forgiveness. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus's place. And here, this grace is not just good wishes. It's not just Jesus saying, I hope your life is a bit better. He changes our lives. As one verse says, he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. It's extraordinary, isn't it? His poverty which involved not just being destitute, but losing life itself, crucified as a common criminal in shame and pain under the judgment of his Father and God in order to make us rich, welcomed into his family. See, that's not just good wishes. It's not just somebody saying, I wish I could do something nice for you. Here's someone who did something incredibly generous, And he changed things for people. He came across a man who was born blind in his 40s. 
Imagine that. He'd lived in darkness all his life. He'd never seen light, never experienced light. Permanent blackness. And Jesus healed him. So he could see light flooded his mind and his brain and his life. And Jesus says, that's a sign of who I really am. I'm the light of the world who brings light to everybody. This baby was the light of the world. And how did people respond? They put their sunglasses on. What did they do? Well, as we've seen already, there were three responses. There was those who didn't know him, who didn't recognise him. That is, they might have heard something of what had happened. The the rumours might have spread. It might have been on Facebook. But they carried on as if nothing had happened, as if nobody significant had come into the world. You, You might call it apathy. You might call it shrug your shoulders, nothing to see here. Let's just get on with life. Yet what he did was so extraordinary that that ignorance... That apathy smacks of willful blindness. There are none so blind as those who refuse to see. And Christmas, what's it about? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? The Christmas is about the birth of baby Jesus. It's hard to ignore the reason for the season. But we try pretty hard in our culture, don't we? Even though the carols and nativity scenes and everything else sort of point us towards Jesus, it seems like many Aussies would rather deceive their kids with myths about Santas and reindeers than actually tell the truth and explore this wonder of baby Jesus. If that's you, if you're somebody who's just wandered, sort of knowing a little bit that the reason for the season is Jesus, but you didn't recognise him, can I invite you this Christmas to look again? Make 2022 a good year to discover this light of the world. But there's a second response, which is far more troubling. Verse 11, he came to his own, but his own people did not accept him, did not receive him. It's talking about the Jewish nation who should have recognised him. They had much more light already. (coughs) Excuse me, but when he came... They didn't seem to see him. They didn't recognise him. They didn't welcome him. Actually, to say they didn't welcome him, they didn't receive him, is, a, is sort of like an Aussie understatement. We're good at understatements, aren't we, in, in Australia? Now you, you have Christmas lunch and you say, ah, that wasn't bad, which mean, means it was fantastic. Or we say, oh, it was a bit warm today, wasn't it? as the mercury hits 44. We like to understate things, and to say they didn't receive him is that sort of Aussie understatement, because what did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. Herod tried to eradicate all the babies before he grew up when he heard that there was another king. The Jewish leaders plotted and succeeded in doing away with him altogether. Why? It sort of beggars explanation. The light of the world comes into the world and his own people reject him. Well, John gives a bit more insight a couple of chapters later. Let me just read to you from chapter 3. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
Have you ever done that thing where you've seen a, a tree with the bark starting to peel off and you, you go up to the tree and you pull the bark off and under the bark are hiding all these critters, slaters and other things. But as soon as they're exposed to the light, what do they do? They scurry for the darkness. They don't like the light. They, they suddenly feel exposed. They, they feel vulnerable when the light shines on them. And John says that was the majority response to Jesus. He came as the light of the world, but they loved darkness because their deeds were evil. We've seen far too often this year, again, the cover-ups and denials when evil is exposed. Whether it's Parliament House or Mind Sites, whether it's uh, abuse of disabled to abuse of choir boys, it, it seems like instinctively we, we just want to cover up, we want to keep it in the dark. People so often love darkness, not light. We're threatened by the light because we don't want people to see that our deeds are dark and we just multiply our evil by covering up our evil. And many people do it to Jesus today. But what's the opposite of that? Well, in John 3, he goes on to say, those who do what is true, those who do the truth, come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. See, the opposite of, of covering up evil is not never doing evil. Instead, when the light is turned on, when our evil deeds are exposed, we do truth. That is, we let the light shine and expose our evil. We own up to it because that's the only way for forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. We cover it up. It stays covered. It stays unresolved. Only when it's exposed can it be healed. To walk in the light, to do good, to do the truth, is to acknowledge that what we've done is not good and come into the light. Now, John seems so black and white at this point, doesn't he? It seems like there's only those who, who run from the light and those who come to the light who are attracted to it like moths or run from it like slaters. Uh, isn't there some grey in between? Are people who just try not to do too much evil and, and be nice. But I think John is right. In the end, we're one or the other. Ultimately, our responses to blazing noonday light are to scurry off into the darkness and hide or allow the light to expose us. Now, I don't know which of those might describe you. Scurry off or come into the light. Well, what does John say about those who come into the light? Verse 12 of chapter 1, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to be the children of God. John implies that most didn't do that, but some did. Some received him. Now, receive is sort of an unusual word, isn't it? Who, who do you receive? It smacks of royalty. When you turned up tonight, were you received at the door? That's not, not the word you'd use, would it? But if the Queen visited Perth, we'd say we received our Queen. It, it's that sort of language. To those who received the light of the world, this baby who is God's King, the Son of God, royalty. That's what we do for our creator and our owner. And those who did were welcomed by him into his very family. 
those who recognise the baby born in a manger to be their maker and owner and who come into the light are adopted into his family. See, this is more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is amazing. It's such a wonderful thing to be forgiven by my creator. But the grace of Jesus goes far further than forgiveness, far further than welcome into adoption, to becoming part of his family, legally part of his family. It's the authority, the power to be his children. But also our nature is changed. The spirit takes us and takes root and, and home in us to make us family, to bring the family likeness of grace and truth. Hey, Christmas is a time for family, isn't it? I hope and pray that your family is able to gather despite all the border closures. At least some of them can get together and you experience something of the joy of family. If you don't, you know the longing for it because family should be such a wonderful thing. And God makes us his family, the highest privilege, the highest gift imaginable to be part of the family of God. Well, tomorrow is our Christmas. Christmas celebrating the birth of baby Jesus, of light flooding our world. How have you responded to that light? Have you missed it? Didn't recognise it? Well, as I said, 2022 would be a great year to let that light flood your life. Have you so far scurried off into darkness, suppressed what you know about light and life, about Jesus, too distracted or even deliberately suppressing it? Well, I think it's time to change, isn't it? This is light come into the world. So it's not just how have you responded. The question tonight is how will you respond? And for those who know Jesus, who've received him, This is a time of joy, the joy of family. As the fragments of your family gather together and you look around with that joy of of belonging, that warmth of being part of a, a people, a family, of giving and receiving, can I encourage you to take time to marvel that you have been included in God's family. Jesus himself is your brother. His father is your father. And whatever food you enjoy and drink you imbibe and warmth that you feel, well, that's only a foretaste of the family get-together in the age to come. Now, we might not have been part of that original cast of Christmas, but that day, the birth of that baby has changed our world forever. Light has come into the world. Light became flesh, the light of the world. May your Christmas be filled flooded of with the light of Jesus amen